good morning, good morning. Today breakfast is sponsored in where was it? In Zechutov? Ben Mila. Ben Mila. Please make the Berachot in his memory. If anyone would like to sponsor any of the breakfast or classes, whether you were here with us today or out here and listening on the WhatsApp group, so uh, the email address is info at ejsny.org. Uh, you can sponsor a class in memory of someone in Refuah uh, for a Shiduch, for a Zivug, for a success for a child, whatever it might be. <clears throat> Rabotai, the Torah tells us about something remarkable. It tells us about the obligation that a person has to ensure that there is not an Amoni or Moavi who becomes a part of Am Yisrael. Uh, and someone who comes from these two nations, Amon and Moav, they're not allowed to convert. Now, this is a fascinating halakha because technically anybody is allowed to convert. Right, technically. So why in the world would Ammon and Moab not be allowed? And the Pasuk says something unbelievable. Because they did not approach you with bread and water. What do you mean they didn't approach you with bread and water? When the Jewish people were walking through the desert, nobody approached them with bread and water. Why is Ammon and Moab singled out? And the answer is... Because Ammon and Moab, years and years and years and years prior, when Lot was in trouble, Avraham Avinu, the grandfather of Ammon and Moab, Lot, was saved by Avraham Avinu, the grandfather of the Jewish people. So here you have a debt, which is, I don't know, a thousand years old, right? Uh, sorry, at, this, at the time, at, at this time, it's about 400 uh, something, uh, 450 years old. And even though it's nearly, uh, uh, nearly 450 years old, because Ammon and Moab didn't come out with gratitude, and they owed a debt of gratitude, the Torah says, these people can never mix with the Jewish people. Now, you have many nations who do many sins. You have many nations who do not do many mitzvot. But why this thing? And why this nation? In fact, the Torah tells us that a person should not reject an Mitzri, an Egyptian, even an Egyptian is obligated, we're obligated to take them. Why at a certain stage? Why? Because we were guests, sojourners in their land. Sojourners in their land. We were slaves in their land. Still the Torah says, they took you in during the time of famine, even if afterwards they turned each and every one of you into servants, into slaves, even if afterwards they killed you, they took you in, there's a modicum of gratitude that is owed to those people. I remember reading this pasuk and trembling. You know, you have Barmanan, Holocaust survivors, who will never buy Mercedes-Benz. Yesterday someone said to me, Rabbi, I feel bad, I wear a Hugo Boss suit. Every time I put on a Hugo Boss suit, I remember reading that Hugo Boss was the designer who made the, the, uh, the, the uniform for the Nazis. Same thing with Volkswagen. So how could you buy, and many people who went through the war, they would never buy anything like that. I would never have anything to do with Germany. It's interesting. According to this Pasuk, there was a time when Jews were welcome in Germany, where they were welcomed into the country. So just like in Egypt, where there's an obligation afterwards, even though we hate the fact that they tortured, that they killed, that they enslaved, that they subjugated us, there's an element of gratitude that we're obligated to have. How, how would we deal with that feeling with regards to Germany? I think that that's a very difficult concept to assimilate into one's consciousness. <clears throat> Why is this the thing? What we're meant to understand, Rabotai, <clears throat> is that although there are certain mitzvot that a Jewish person must do, 
there's elements of the Torah which are so essential, they're so central to the Jewish psyche, <clears throat> that a lack of that midah pr- uh, precludes someone from ever becoming a part of our nation. Amon and Moab were lacking the midah of Hakarat HaTov. At its most basic level, a Jew has an obligation to show gratitude to someone that did something good for him. Now, Rabotai, I remember reading a magnificent story. There's a poor guy living somewhere in the middle of Russia, and this, this new advent, this new idea, had hit the market, this concept of selling lottery tickets. Anyway, this guy, he's making a living selling people lottery tickets. Now, there's one poor guy in town. The guy has the worst luck in the world. He's, you know, got a bunch of kids. Nobody, everybody's hungry all the time. He's always crying about his situation, collecting money from everybody. Until one time, the guy comes up to him and he says, Mehila. He says, do me a favor. He says, buy one ticket. You could win a million dollars. You know, you could win, you could become overnight a millionaire. All your troubles will disappear. And the guy says to him, leave me alone. You know, I don't have money for food. You want me to buy a lottery ticket? He says, please, you don't understand. This could change everything. The guy says, I don't have food. I'm not spending money on a chance. They're arguing back and forth. The guy's trying to sell him a ticket. The guy don't want to buy a ticket. He says, look, you know what? I'll lend you the dollar, one dollar. I'll put you on a payment plan. Pay me the dollar back over two years. The guy says, he goes, he says, I was taught by my father. If you can't afford to pay back a loan, you don't borrow money. What a beautiful concept. Even for one dollar, even on a two-year payment plan, right? How much does that work out to? That works out to less than one cent a week, right? The guy says no. He keeps back pestering him, bugging him, the guy, until finally, the lottery owner says, listen, I'm going to make you a deal you can't refuse. I'll make him an offer he can't refuse, right? I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. What's the offer he can't refuse? He says, I will give you, lend you the dollar. If you win the million dollars, you pay me back. If you don't win the million dollars, it's a gift. Yussel can't say no to that, okay? Lends him the dollar, buys the ticket. Had that goes home, he feels good about it. He thinks to himself, you know what? At least he gave this guy one night of hope. Maybe things will be... In the middle of the night, he gets a, a message from the, lotter, the lottery place. One of the tickets that you sold is the winner. He goes to the pages, he's looking through the pages till he flips through the number five, matches the number. Who's the winner of the million, of the, uh, of the fortune, the million dollars? It's this guy, Yossel. He can't believe his, he's so happy. He's never been so happy for someone to win the lottery in his life, other than himself, obviously. He says to himself, I can't wait one minute, even though it's the middle of the night, late at night. He said, I gotta go tell him. Right, let the guy uh, have his sweet dreams. He runs through the streets. He's looking around till he finally finds the, you know, the, the, the hovel that this guy lives in. He knocks on the, it's not even a door. It's a, you know, a, a piece of wood. He knocks on the piece of wood, pulls the door open. He looks in and he says, he says, Yussel. He doesn't hear nothing. Yussel. No, no, no sounds. He walks into the house. He gets, a, he lights a little candle from one of the torches, walks in, looks around until finally he sees Yussel is sleeping in his bed. He says, Yussel, he shakes him. The guy jumps up, he immediately starts, you know, puts himself in a fighting stance. He starts screaming, he says, calm down, it's only me. 
Yossi says, what are you, Majnun? You come into my house in the middle of the night. I'm sleeping here. My wife, my kids. The guy says, I'm, you're, he says, you're 100% right. He says, but I'm so sorry. I couldn't bear, I couldn't bear, what's it called? To not tell you the news. He says, please. He goes, can we sit down for two minutes? You know, we're sitting over here. Maybe let's light a fire. I can talk to you. I have some great news for you. He goes, light a fire. Are you crazy? I don't have any money for wood. I can't, you know, da 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 da. He starts launching into the pitch. You come here, wake me up in the middle of the night. Who does this kind of thing? What kind of terrible manners? Who raised you? You know, and he's yelling, he's screaming at him. He says, please. He goes, just let's light a fire. Sit down for two minutes. He wants to, like, let the guy enjoy the moment. The guy says, tell me what you want first, and then I'll decide if I'll light a fire. The guy sees how stubborn he's being. He says, Yossel, I just want to tell you, I got a message. I couldn't wait until the morning. I was the first one to find out, but I want you to be, I want you to know before the newspapers come out in the morning, uh, your life is, uh, is, is going to completely change in a few hours. You know, I looked at the numbers. You're the one. You're the winner. You never need to be hungry again. You never need to live in a place like this again. You could buy a palace. You could have food for the kids. Wonderful clothing. You could have a fire going all night. No problem. He gives him the whole thing like this, like this. And he says to him, he goes, he goes, now can we light a fire? And he also looks at him and he says, I don't understand you. He goes, anyone else from the community, I would expect this from. He goes, everyone else in the community, he goes, they still think I'm a poor nobody. He goes, but you, you know I'm a rich and important man. You come and you wake me up in the middle of the night? I don't know if this story is true. I hope it's not. I hope it's not. But I, I want to say that this outlandish story is not so uncommon. You have a lot of people in this world who need a helping hand in a difficult time. And you know what? There's a lot of kind people in our nation who are willing to do so for someone who's down on their luck. But you know what? A little while later, that person becomes a wealthy man. Their business starts going well. And then, very quickly, they forget the fact that without this person giving them that money, lending them that, you know, that money to start the company, without the person who made that connection, who made the introduction for them, without the person who gave them a little bit of time, who gave them a little bit of advice, who maybe gave them a little bit of encouragement, you would still be at the bottom of the ladder. People forget the people who helped them when they were down. Amon and Moab were people who now were big nations. They have their own country. You know, no one wants to remember that there was once a time when your grandpa was at the mercy of the four kings who just killed the five kings who needed Abraham Avinu to come with his group of soldiers to go and save his life. Not only do they not remember that, they don't want to remember that. The Pasuk tells us about Mitzrayim when the new king arose and changed all the decrees and made everything terrible for the Jews. And a new king got up. He did not know Yosef. Look at Rashi on the spot. He quotes the Gemara. One person says it was a new king. The old king died. Rahet. He walked like an Egyptian off a cliff. And the other, what's it called, opinion says, it wasn't a new king. It was a king. He had new laws. He had a new, uh, a whole new bag. Because he thought to himself, you know, if we're going to build a different country, if we're going to treat the Jews 
in the way that we want to treat them. The only way to be able to do that is to forget Asher Lo Yosef. To forget the fact that it was the Jewish people who helped us here. A couple days ago in the news, I saw that there's a call that came out from Sudan. There's a new government in power, and the new government is saying, Jews, Fada, we want you back. All the Sudanese Jews, welcome back. We want you to come back to our country. You find this in countries around the world where they're struggling. They don't know what they're doing. They're welcoming this biracha. They recognize after throwing the Jews out that we were the biracha that kept them there. You know what we did for the countries that we went to? The countries only find out after they throw us out or they slaughter us that the sign of the biracha came from us. Rabotai, Rabotai, Every single person is capable of doing what Amon, Moab, what all these nations did, what Yankel does. After the person helps you, not only is it easy to forget, it's very convenient to forget. Because now you're on top of the world, you don't want to be reminded. Yassel, now that he's a millionaire, doesn't want the pity of the guy who had to come tell a poor man that he won the lottery. Do you understand? Because now you don't want to be reminded of, of what was. Rabutai, there's an unbelievable story with the Hatam Sofer. The Hatam Sofer once had a student that he gave everything to. He raised him, he taught him his Torah, he, was a, you know, he gave him a place to live, he bought him his clothing, he helped him get married until finally it came time for the chuppah. And the guy comes to his rabbi before the chuppah and he says, I have a beracha for you. He says, I have a gift for you. What's the gift? It's a little pouch, a little box. And he gives him, he says, this is my gift to you. And he opens it up, and inside the box are five tiny pebbles, tiny. And he says, Rebbe, what are these? And the Hatam Sofer says, I've never had a student that I gave as much to as you. And there's a rule that I have learned in my life, that the people that you give the most to are the ones that turn against you. And when the time comes and they're standing on the feet that you helped them stand on, they throw rocks in your direction. I know that will happen. So here I'm giving you little rocks that won't hurt. What an unbelievable lesson from a rabbi to a student. I worked for many, many years in an outreach organization, in different outreach organizations. And there are times when you work with someone and they, they become religious. And next thing you know, you hear them bad mouthing. Look at these guys making parties, you know, and da-da-da-da. How come they're not teaching Gemara? How come they're not this? They have boys and girls. Dude, you came to the party. You came to the event. You came to the class. How do you think you're learning Gemara now? You know why? I don't, I'm not angry at them, the people like that. I understand them. Because now you're a very religious guy. You don't want to remember that there was once a time that, that you weren't on the derech, that someone needed to help you? It's embarrassing. But even if it's embarrassing, says the Torah, even if you're a very powerful nation, you need to remember the times when you weren't as well off, as strong, and somebody helped you. I always talk about the fact that today, I'm a rabbi, and there's a few people in my world, as I was growing up, that allowed me, that gave me the confidence to become the rabbi that I am. Two people, one person was a eighth grade Jewish history teacher whose name is Simcha Bak, and I've reached out to him uh, numerous times to try and get in touch to tell him 
what an impact he had on me. And another person was a rabbi uh, who was one of the greatest educators I ever met uh, from, his, from Muncie. He ran a camp and there was one boy who was a, had a little bit of a difficult upbringing and the rabbi paired me with this one boy to learn one-on-one with him, to give him chizuk, to make him feel important, to you know, you know, keep him strong through the difficult times he was going through. And one day I'm sitting and learning with this guy and the man's name was Rabbi Weinberger. And I respected him so much as a teacher. He is a master educator. And he walks up and he leans over and he whispers in my ear. And he says, Shlomo, if you don't go into education, you are out of your mind. And I remember thinking right then and there, if that's what he thinks, if that's what he thinks, of course that's something I should do. He knows his business better than anybody else. Rabutai, we have people in our community and who are listening to this shiur who are <coughs> leaders in their field, in finance, in retail, in wholesale, in private jets, in selling perfume, in selling socks, in selling anything. And there's going to be a young blood that comes your way and looks up to you as a mentor and someone who really knows what they're talking about in their field. A word in their ear as a young man telling them that you, someone who is successful, an icon in the field that you believe in them, you don't know how far it will go. And to have the Hakarata Tov years later, after you have a job and you have a synagogue and you have a community, to remember when you were a little kid that there was someone that gave you that push and to feel a sense of gratitude to them even years later, even like the Torah says, 450 years later. Not even the Torah says you did bad, but that they didn't come out to greet you. You don't even know them with bread and water, a 450-year-old debt. That people, they can't be part of Am Yisrael. So reach out to someone from your past, to your mother, to your father, to your teacher, to your, you know, your guy who gave you your first job, and give them a thank you, and show your appreciation. What a wonderful thing that is for a people that is called the Amma Yehudi, Yehudi coming from the word Modeh, the ones that give thanks. Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen ve'amen.